welcome to Gesundheit with Jacobus, Health Talk Radio, integrating allopathic and all-natural medicine one show at a time. Here is your host, Jacobus Hollowine. Good morning, everyone. Everyone and everyone. Everyone. Good morning to you. Welcome to the program. We have three hours planned talking about immunotherapy with Dr. Gary Stoner. He's back in the studio, and I really appreciate that. We'll get to him in just a moment. I uh, just enjoy having you with us every Saturday morning. Uh, The fun thing, the fun fact, I haven't even said that yet to Dr. Stoner. Uh, This is live show number 888. Fantastic. Triple eight. Wow. Yeah, isn't that something? 888 times. Eight, that's, life. that's remarkable. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's quite a few weeks. <laughs> so anyway, that is, uh, I, I like to keep track of numbers, and that is what I came up with. So enjoyable, uh, as always, for me to, to do my prep, to read, to have the guest on the show, and uh, to, to dig into topics that could help us all acquire better health. And that's what the show is all about, Gesundheit. The word Gesundheit means good health or health in general. And by inviting the experts and giving them a chance to talk about what they do for a living and their research, books they've written, anything that is going on in their life that is really something that has to do with health and it could help us all, that's what I enjoy talking about. And there are times when I have open lines and we we discuss whatever is on your mind, still health-related, to have the weekly shows with guests and have them dig deeper into topics that may seem confusing or that are so exciting because of what's going on in the industry and in the research. It is just something we need to talk about. So I appreciate you tuning in today. Now, as always, keep in mind, please, this is not a show where we talk, uh, where we try to give you a diagnosis or a treatment or a cure. It's all about information and education, a little entertainment. Please see either the expert after the program. We'll give you all the information that you need or check in with a physician of your choice and just become the best educated person you can be. You are tuned in to News Radio AM 1450KMMS in Bozeman and Gallatin Valley, AM 1340KPRK in Livingston and Park County, We're also broadcasting live over KMMSAM.com and the mobile app AM1450KMMS. Thank you all for tuning in. Whatever way you are doing that today, um, absolutely good stuff happening. The telephone number in the studio, if you'd like to join in and ask a question about the topic, it's 406-522-TALK, 522-822. Five five or text us at two six six seven six one seven two six six seventy six seventeen. Before we go to Doctor Stoner, let me um, tell you, give you a quick update on the weather. Which it's not too bad. A little cold. I was cold this morning. I don't know why. Maybe there's a certain humidity, but I couldn't get warm. Uh, currently in Bozeman, it is uh, twenty four degrees and cloudy. The high expected today is 29, but get ready for the night because tonight the high or the low is expected at 2 degrees. Tomorrow, it's going to be a high of 7, while the low will be minus 9. Monday, the high will be 3 with a low of minus 10. And then slowly but surely, the temperature seems to get better during the rest of the week. If you are on the Livingston and 
Park County area, currently you are sitting in cloudy sky on the cloudy skies at 27 degrees with a high today expected of 32, but also for you a low of 3 tonight. And similar forecast as the Gallatin Valley with a high tomorrow of plus 8, low of minus 9. Monday, a plus 6, low of minus 5. And then we have a few days of nice weather in the low to mid-20s. So hopefully we can uh, we can use those days to get a few things done before it starts getting cold again. Uh, all in all, looks like it's going to be a nice week. Dr. Gary Stoner, my guest, and I just enjoy Dr. Stoner having him in the studio because uh, I do see him at the gym. And then we uh, we at times we talk. You you know it's it's always funny. You you always get right into these. Hey, Jacobus, I. You know, there is this new research out, and it's really exciting. And uh, you know, you dig right, and I'm standing there sweating. <laughs> well, well, I, I will tell you, you're a lot better at the gym than I am. So you sweat more than I do. <laughs> well, you know more about this stuff, so we uh, we help each other out here. Uh, my guest this morning, Dr. Gary Stoner, has a farm right here in Montana, in Amsterdam. He grew up in Manhattan, where his father owned a service station. He graduated from Montana High School in 1960. He then attended Montana State University, where he received his Bachelor of Science in 1964. He went on to receive his Ph.D. in microbiology from the University of Michigan in 1970. Dr. Gary Stoner has had a very active academic career in research, teaching, and administration, mostly at the Ohio State University. During the early stage of his career, he focused on lung cancer and the mechanisms by which chemical carcinogens in tobacco cause lung cancer. Some of this work supported the Surgeon General's decision to recommend against smoking in public places. Uh, the latter part of Dr. Gary Stoner's career was focused on the identification of chemicals in cruciferous vegetables and berries that prevent cancer. This work accumulated in the development of a food-based approach to cancer prevention using freeze-dried black raspberries formulated in different ways. You can get a hold of Dr. Stoner by emailing him on, at his Gmail account. It is Gary d stoner at gmail.com dr stoner absolute i i it's an honor for me to have you in the studio with all the knowledge that you have thanks for being here today it's an honor for me to be here and what? with all the knowledge you have because every time i listen to your program i learn more uh, my area yeah you listen yeah, I, I, I i i've been a little bit more focused you know in my research and so forth and you you have this very broad knowledge about uh, what is needed to help the uh, organs and, and all the organ systems, liver, kidney. I, I don't know. I don't know a lot of that information. So I learn a lot from you, believe me. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I think that some of it is uh, concepts that I talk about that may or may not have been clinically double-blind placebo-controlled researched, but that have been around for uh, hundreds of years, even longer, maybe decades haven't had the research, but have anecdotal information. And I think some people, um, if you want to go see a movie, you can watch the reviews or you can listen to a friend who says, you, you like this movie. You'll go. It's, an, it's not a research. It is simply somebody you know and like 
liked the movie, so you think, I'm going to check it out for myself. It's a similar thing with dietary supplements or with diets or with approaches to health. If somebody says, you know what, I was really where you are right now, and this is what I did. It was not easy, but I did it. And you're like, man, you look amazing. Well, you know, you can do that too. We're more prone to just give that a try than say we're going to be guinea pigs or some kind of research project that's going to that's gonna empty our pockets and it's going to maybe devastate us financially but may not get to results. And so people love to hear the anecdotal stuff. And that is one thing that I enjoy on the show, just to hear the people tell the story. But at the same time, we cannot get too wishy-washy when it comes to knowledge. We need to have people like yourself who, uh, you know, I've seen photos of you looking through microscopes and, 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 and I just can only vaguely imagine what you have done, how you have worked in the laboratories, et cetera, to make things, uh, to, to, to get to the point where you are today. Well, I, I, I've, I need to tell you that I've had an awfully lot of help in that process. <laughs> yeah, I had, sure. I had very good people working with me, and I had excellent collaborations around the country and in some other countries, and that all <clears throat> that all added greatly to yeah. what I was able to to do. Yeah. But this reminds me uh, of what you're saying. I went I went to Hong Kong once. We gave a talk. Honest, hardworking Americans with family. Uh, it, was, it was a Baptist. Uh, it's not. From a religious sense, but they call it a Baptist uh, institution. I don't institute, I guess. Yeah. In any event, they treated people uh, every day there with different herbal medicines, and so you could go in the back and see this being steamed up and that being steamed up, different different uh, herbs and so forth. And then someone would come in and have a liver problem; they'd give them one herb, they kidney problem, give them another herb, and so forth. And so I asked them, I said, uh, are you following these patients and seeing whether or not it has an effect? They say, no, we aren't really documenting this, but we just know anecdotally from just years of experience that this works pretty well. Yeah. So if all of those things have been documented you mm-hmm. know, over the years and yeah. had, had some sort of scientific uh, control over it, yeah. I think we'd l- even learn more about it. Uh, we would probably, what in the end, we'd probably uh, find that these things, these different herbal treatments, actually did work, and uh, and that uh, you don't necessarily have to have a randomized placebo-controlled trial yeah. to prove it. If you can uh, have a patient population treating and you can see the effects happen. Yeah, and and one of the big topics we're discussing today is immunotherapy, and that obviously can be treated different ways. You're going to explain to us how immunotherapy has worked in your uh, field and how with the research, the understanding the cells better, things such as dendritic cells, uh, but immunotherapy in general, how it goes about fighting inflammation in the body, etc., and immunotherapy specifically for cancer, different cancers. That, to me, is fascinating, fascinating information. At the same time, we do have nutritional supplements in the world that have shown to have immune-enhancing properties, such as medicinal mushrooms. Yeah, that's the, correct. The, 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 the mushrooms, the mycelium that grow under the ground or even the fruiting body. We do know of herbs such as astragalus, 
that are very supportive of building the immune system, olive leaf, oil of oregano. Uh, there are things that have shown to, to actually support cells in doing the best they can in your body. And obviously, nutrition is one of the topics we do want to discuss, even if, if possible briefly. But that nutrition has a lot of the nutrients in it, obviously, that do either good or bad or stay neutral in our body. So if there is something that we're fighting, we need to look at what kind of foods can we use in order to just naturally, every day, build our immune health to ward off possible intrusions. Absolutely. Yeah. No, and there are many foods that do that. And we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll discuss a few of them today. I'm so sorry. I dress, I hear something in my, I hear another show running. Oh, in the back of my microphone, and oh. I I can hear it like this. I, I I don't know what is running, but during the break, I hope the listeners don't hear it on the air. Um, but I have to take care of this during the break. <laughs> That's the easiest way. So we have a full agenda with the two of us. Uh, you have you have come up with some great uh, topics. I'm looking over here at the topics. Maybe we can talk to people, first of all, um, any kind of disorder that we have in our body seems to start. Now, maybe that's totally, that's not totally right. But I think a lot of disorders will have to do with some kind of form of inflammation. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe you can help us explain to us what is inflammation, what happens. Well, inflammation is uh, basically the body's response to any injurious stimulus. So whether it's a infection with a bacterium or virus, whether you cut your finger with a knife, whether you hit, stab yourself with a, a wood, yeah, uh, or any kind of, of injury, yes, the body's response to that will be inflammation. And so inflammation is when uh, when the white blood cells, what we call leukocytes, leukocytes, actually migrate to the area in which there is damage. Uh -huh. and uh, try to clean it up, so to speak. Uh, frequently, it's uh, when you're infected with a pathogen. Okay. Causes, uh, infections. Yes. Uh, or a virus that causes infection. Uh, so uh, the, the leukocytes that are involved, the white blood cells that are involved, are uh, the neutrophils, uh, polymorphonuclear leukocytes, another name for them, very, very prevalent uh, white blood cells that... Uh, usually rush in very quickly when you have injury. Okay. The, then you also have uh, lymphocytes. Okay. You have monocytes. Yeah. You have macrophages. Yes. Dendritic cells. Uh, so uh, uh, there, there are a number of different kinds of white blood cells that respond in an inflammatory situation. The uh, neutrophils come in, uh, polymorphonuclear leukocytes, they... Uh, engulf bacteria, they mm -hmm. uh, kill viruses. Uh, you, you frequently, there's an antibody there that's involved, and uh, <clears throat> so this this is a way of of dealing with an injurious situation. And ultimately, uh, once things are cleaned up, the macrophages then come in, and they sort of clean up the debris, if you will, yeah. that's left after the neutrophils have yeah. have. Uh, kill the bacteria or in some cases been killed themselves the macrophage will come in and clean that all up and then ultimately if if the damage is repairable in other words 
if you cut yourself just a little bit, sure, the epithelial cells will then grow over the top again. The skin cells will yes. grow over the top. You don't yeah. have a scar, right? If it's large enough, yeah. uh, usually you'll have fibroblast cells coming in, laying down connective tissue. Okay, and uh, so then you'll have scarring occurring. Yeah, and uh, so that's that's the basic thing that happens in the injurious stimulus. It could be, you know, alcohol injuring the liver. Same sort of thing. You can get a uh, fibrotic liver. Also. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, we call it cirrhosis. Okay. Uh, you can also have the uh, same thing occurring in the lung. Yeah. You have uh, uh, significant lung damage, and you have a replacement of that damage with uh, scarring, scarring of the lung. Right. So uh, it's, it's a very typical uh, body response to these sorts of injurious stimulus. The cardinal signs of inflammation really are uh, redness. Okay. So there's change in color. Yeah. Then there's usually heat, and there's swelling or edema, we call it, and then pain. So those are really the four cardinal signs of inflammation. Yes. So the that's an interesting thing. Folks, uh, Gary Stoner, Dr. Gary Stoner, my guest this morning on Gesundheit with Jacobus, if you like to ask a question, we're talking about currently about inflammation, but it is part of the topic of immune therapy. Immuno, when did they say immune therapy? When did they say immunotherapy? Oh, immunotherapy, yes. So it is immunotherapy. There's yes. nothing like immune therapy. It's immunotherapy. It is immune therapy, but wait, it's just it's just called immunotherapy. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just, that's good. Potato, potato. Okay, yeah. good. So if you have any questions or comments about this specific topic, feel free to call the studio right here, News Radio AM 1450. We are talking about uh, the these really, really interesting topic. And I think once we understand things better, there are things preventatively that we can do to either eliminate it or sharply reduce it. Because once inflammation starts the body is going into cycles of trying to repair, which means where it could be healing, it will have to take the energy away from the healing part, from from growing and improving into supporting the healing process. And so you can only do one job at a time correctly if you get too busy, uh, some not everything gets done right. But if you have any questions about this, 522-8255 is that number. It's fair to say, right? I mean, if we have an injury or an infection or inflammation, the body is trying to help as much as it can. Absolutely. But we need to give it a chance to do that. So sometimes when people get sick, uh, it it may be that the body is actually saying, there is something you just have to slow down. I need to repair. I need to heal. Yeah. And I don't want you to be running around like crazy. Uh, we need to repair this. Uh, that's correct. That's kind of so, how I look at it. So this inflammation really, really divides into two different kinds. One is acute, and the other is chronic. Uh, That's true. Acute, acute inflammation is where you, where you have an infection, you cut yourself. Yes. There's a rushing of, of white cells and, and, and so forth in to clean that up, clear it up, and so forth. So that's a rapid type of process. Yeah. Chronic inflammation is where you have a persistence of, blood cells like macrophages and, and lymphocytes in an inflamed area, and they stay there because yeah. there's some change in, the, in, in your, your, your cells so, okay. that, so that they recognize you as being foreign and not you. 
I see. And so then they start reacting against you. Classic example of that is is uh, arthritis. Okay. And so that's a, a situation of chronic inflammation that uh, that can persist and yeah. become worse over time. Yeah. And and so uh, uh, the the, the macrophages and lymphocytes not only uh, are they problematic in, in in the sense that they produce uh, a number of different oxidative radicals, yeah, like uh, singlet oxygen, hydroxide ion, nitrous oxide, hydrogen peroxide. All of these oxidative radicals cause damage, tissue damage, mm-hmm. cellular damage, mm-hmm. uh, damage to your pro- cell protein, to lipid, to DNA to RNA. Wow. So the cellular macromolecules are damaged by yes. the oxidative radicals. Yeah. So the, uh, <clears throat> the lymphoid cells produce a lot of them. And that's why you have a, 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 an increasing arthritic area, increasing pain that goes on uh, associated with that. Right. And uh, it's, a, it's kind of tough to uh, treat that effectively. Mm. And, and so. Uh, the best, one of the best ways, in my view, of preventing it from occurring in the first place is to have uh, an adequate intake of uh, foods that have uh, the ability to quench or uh, to bind to those free radicals and reduce them, uh, reduce their damage I see. To, to tissues. Makes sense. And so many phenolic compounds, for example, are found in What's a phenol? Phenols. So these are compounds that have hydroxy groups, OH groups on the on a, what it's called a benzene ring. Yeah. Whenever compounds have that, those OH groups have the ability to bind up a radical and, okay. and, and take them away. So does that uh, would that be considered antioxidants? Is that what we're yes, talking about? Antioxidants. So when you talk about phenols, then you say this those are high antioxidant uh, foods, That's for example. Correct. Yes. Okay. Yeah, they're found abundantly in berries, which we work with. There, are yeah. many other fruits and you vegetables. You bet. Yeah, have that is abundant phenolic yeah. compounds, mm-hmm. and they're not the only compounds that have antioxidant activity. Vitamins have that. Minerals have that. So it, it's uh, <clears throat> there are a whole plethora of, of uh, foods that we eat that have mm-hmm. antioxidants mm-hmm. in them, and those can those can reduce the kinds of damage yeah. associated. with we're going to have to take a short break, uh, Dr. Gary Stoner. Uh, we need to, uh, let's see, there's the news coming up, a few commercials. And then when we come back, we're going to talk more about how inflammation has has motivated people to look more into immunotherapy. So there's a lot of things that we can talk about today that we will. We will be right back. Thanks for listening today. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, Gary. Thank pleasure you. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so we had, you know, there is a few texts that I'm getting in, and I uh, need to, this person talks about a Cerasea, some Jamaican herb for cancer. Uh, I, I have to do a little bit more research on this. Uh, sorry, caller. I can't help you totally on it at this point. But I will find time during the, uh, maybe the news break at the top of the hour to find out some information and react to that. So we have this information over here with Dr. Stoner. He is explaining the inflammation, inflammatory response in the body. And that is, and, and as we just, uh, look at that, I just squeezed my finger, right away we got a blister oh, right boy. there. Yeah. 
Anyway, <laughs> nobody can see that. that that's, but that's, that's how fast that, it, That's injury. That's, that's an inflammatory that's, that's response. Inflammatory response, you bet. <laughs> like Jacobus has this little blood. Uh, blood blister right blister. now on my finger because I squeezed it between some pliers. I'm trying yeah. to. I'm trying to get rid of the uh, background noise. Saying, hey. I hear background noise. It is Ben Shapiro's show is playing, for those of you who don't know, and I don't know how to turn it off. I, the button the button is on, and I cannot get the button out. Hmm. And uh, then I could, I could oh, maybe uh, something something is not working in the spring, in the spring mechanism, uh -huh. so I need to get this out, and then maybe I can. You need a hammer. <laughs> oh, I need a big hammer, all right. Yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> so if there is extra background noise, I'm really sorry. I can't help that at this point. Um, in any case, uh, Dr. Gary Stoner, if you have some specific questions for him after the program, you can call him at 406-282-6067, 282-6067. That's actually changed. Oh, yeah, maybe I, maybe she'll I, leave it. I, I, I sold my farm. <laughs> That's so right. You did sell the farm. 284. 284. 2187. 284. 2187. Is that a home number? Sounds like a That's home a number. That's a home number. Okay. Oh, good. So you don't have to be yeah. sitting in a restaurant and then yeah. uh, answer the phone call. Don't know who it is. <laughs> People can leave messages. So 406-284-2187. Then uh, you can ask him specific questions. So thank you for that. Now, Inflammatory response, you just talked about both acute and chronic. And I love to talk about this topic because I think a lot of people with the tremendous opioid crisis that we're dealing with are dealing with an inflammatory response. And they just cannot let the body go through a healing process because they have so much going on in their life, they cannot slow down. We talked about a little bit on the way over uh, from the restaurant, but don't you think that is probably one of the responses? Because for me, you can have inflammation from an injury, but you can also have chronic inflammation from suppressing what is going on in your body, in your mind, or in your emotions, in your spirit, whatever it is. You're suppressing it. You can't live it. You, 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 you have to keep moving forward. You don't have time to let that integrate into your system. And so now the body says, okay, you want to deal with it? I need to slow you down. How do I slow you down? By giving you pain. Mm -hmm. And now you will slow down. Mm -hmm. And then people say, no, I can't slow down. I got to keep going, going, going. So I take anti-inflammatories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that, that probably could be the case. Of course, inflammation is not associated with just cancer. That's what we'll be talking about mostly today. But <clears throat> but all of the other diseases that we have, cardiovascular disease, yeah, aging. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, aging is not a disease, but it is a, a process associated with uh, oxidative damage. Yeah. And that's caused in part by inflammatory cells. Yeah. And so uh, uh, diabetes, yeah, me, is probably an oxidative disease. Mm -hmm. uh, there are many others, and of course, arthritis yeah. and so forth. So uh, uh, inflammation plays a major role in, in all many of these processes we have. Now, how much the brain uh, controls inflammation, uh, or how much it, uh, our hormonal milieu influences inflammation, Mm -hmm. How much stress influences inflammation? I, I really don't know for sure. But, but it makes sense. I, I, I think they all are interconnected, yes. And I think uh, stress itself 
probably uh, leads to increased oxidative damage in tissues. Yes. And uh, the mechanism, I don't know. Uh, certainly, probably, some of the people you've talked with over the years would certainly know. But, <clears throat> so that, that could all be part of it. The, the mindset could all be part of well, I, driving I, inflammation. Right, and I, <clears throat> I observe from just talking to people that when there is something going on in the body, they usually can recall something that happened in their life that is not always falling down, hitting their head, mm. breaking a leg, or anything like that. Many times, the there, there was a stressful time in their life that they had to work through. And because there was no time to slow down because they had to go on with the move. They had to deal with the disease or the, the sickness of a child or they had to deal with the grieving, with the funeral arrangements of sure. the person who died. Sure. There just didn't seem to be any time to process what just happened. And that could be a lingering, yes. a lingering process. Mm -hmm. But somewhere, and I was talking to you about that Dutch Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, the book is called Your Body Keeps the Score. Mm -hmm. It keeps score. Yes. And it knows what has happened to you, and it will just store it wherever it is needed to be stored so that when the time comes, you can open up the storage box and deal with it. Mm -hmm. But many of us tend to, we want to forget, but the body doesn't. And so at some point, the stressor will rear its ugly head, and it comes out through an organ that seems to be the weak one at the time. Yeah. It could be the skin, could be the colon, you could have digestive problems, you could have fogginess in the brain, you could have hormonal imbalances, thyroid disorders, uh, you can have pancreatitis, insulin problems, heart problems, wherever the body decides to go, that's where it goes. You know, I'm I'm talking to you, and I no, should be listening here. No, I no, should no, shut no, up. No, just... I, no, I, I I agree with that. I think some of it has not been measured well, but I'm sure that uh, that these stresses, whatever causes them, yeah, uh, that you that you interact with in life, have of life, influence uh, the your propensity to disease. Yes, and influence your propensity for inflammation. I'm yes, sure that's yes. Just how that occurs, I'm not sure, but uh, uh, it is uh, it's, it is undoubtedly a factor, and you can see this, you know, in the case of the loss of a, a spouse, for example. Yeah. Frequently, you'll see the second spouse go. Within, oh. Within months or yes. years. Yes. So, yes. The loss of a spouse. If that spouse had not passed, potentially the other person would have survived for a longer period of time. Yes. Uh, so there, there, there are examples in, in life of those kinds of situations that that influence your your psyche, influences your uh, your stress level. And, yeah, and undoubtedly, uh, probably influence the the amount of inflammation you're dealing with, and right. the amount of oxidative damage you're dealing with. Yeah, and the hormonal mediated effects that may not always be positive. That you're dealing with, yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, I think that's that's the case. Yeah. yeah. 
So when you get acute inflammation is obvious. We, we have an accident. We, uh, we hurt ourselves with plyos. Uh, we, <laughs> we hurt ourselves in a gym. Yes. You tweak something. But the body still has to process that. Now, what I see is so interesting in your research is you look at this one aspect, one of the aspects, which is primarily focusing on, on immune health. What can we do to build the immune system? And what can we do on top of that to start reversing cancer, fighting cancer cells? And that is a very specific topic, but it is probably the one that scares people the most in society today. The C word, um, they are just freaking out because that seems to be almost like a death sentence immediately. And, and in your research, you have seen how scientists have struggled to, to deal with cancer cells. And there is something about these cells in general that are just amazing. I mean, I think as a scientist, you must look at it and said, it's really, I mean, they, 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 almost, they almost demand respect uh, because how they function, isn't it? Well, it is. It is, it is amazing. So inflammation uh, is related to cancer. Of course, that's my The end goal, deal. the end, the end yeah. station. So that, uh, how is that the case? Well, there are cells, infl inflammatory cells, or some white blood cells again, which go into an area of inflammation. They produce uh, what are called cytokines and chemokines. These are okay. protein molecules that actually stimulate cell proliferation. Okay. So if you have a tissue that's been uh, uh, mutagenized or by damaged by exposure to certain chemicals in the environment, uh, certain viruses, uh, uh, radiation, etc. This is all part uh, of it. UV light, all of those agents that are, that actually cause cancer. Yeah, uh, they produce mutations in tissue, and uh, these cells then are sort of start to lose their growth control, and uh, by those mutations, and so uh, inflammatory some cells come in, and they also produce factors like I mentioned, chemokines and cytokines that actually stimulate those cells to grow and proliferate. Oh, I see. So they Inflammation, we've always thought of it. When I was in graduate school, I, we always thought of an inflammatory response as protecting yourself against cancer development because of the cells in the, in the uh, white blood cells that had the ability to kill cancer cells. That's true, and we'll talk about that. They're also, they are, can also produce products uh, that actually stimulate cell growth and drive the cancer process. Plus, as I mentioned before, they also produce a number of free radicals, oxidative radicals that cause additional damage to these uh, 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 mutagenized, initiated cancer cells yeah. and stimulate their further proliferation. I so, see. So uh, in, in a way, inflammation is a driving process for cancer, hmm. uh, as well as an inhibitory process. So it's sort of like immunology. It's kind of a double-edged sword. That wow. Good things about it and there are things about it that are not so good. Right. And Inflammation and so, can stimulate the the ongoing growth of cancer. Yes. Wow. That's true. Yeah. yeah. yeah you know, it makes when sense. you when you look histologically, uh, when you look at tissues that are uh, in the process of, of developing into cancer. In other words, you look at precancerous lesions in, in tissues that 
of an animal, for example, you've treated with a carcinogen, those lesions underneath the uh, epithelial tissues, though, you'll always see, you often see a, a very heavy infiltrate of inflammatory cells, inflammatory white blood cells. Yeah. And that they are, they are there in part to protect the, the further development, but they also promote the further development of those lesions into uh, malignant disease. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Wow, that is, uh, that is really interesting. And that is why when you talk about inflammation, that's why you talk about the benefits of antioxidants to go fight inflammation, right, part of it? Yes. That's what right. they do. So there are things that we can do to bring our body in a, in a much healthier homeostasis yes. balance yeah. so that we have more energy to actually go after the disease. Too many of us are fighting too many fires on different fronts, and there's only so much we can do. That's true. Now, there are, of course, young children who are born with cancer or get cancer at a very early age, which I don't understand yet um, why that is. However, I do believe that as we get older, our reservoir of stem cells is going down, We'd have, therefore, less to work with. We have less reserves to go after inflammation. Mm -hmm. That's why young people usually heal up so quickly. When Mm -hmm. they hurt themselves, next day they're fine, two days later they're fine. But as we get older and we have some kind of an injury of inflammation, it may take a week. It may take two weeks. It may never go away. So I think part of that has to do with our stem cells, mm-hmm. put the natural production. And so as we get older, we need to be even more vigilant in how we approach our body in nutrients, nutrient-wise. We have to be more careful to not be extreme one way or another, but to really find that balance that works for us so we give the body the nutrients to naturally fight inflammation. Yes, we we certainly have to recognize that we're not as uh, we're not young anymore, and certain things that we could do back then we cannot do as efficiently now. Yeah, and yeah. they could indeed injure us if we try to do them. Yeah, so we have to be a lot more careful. You're right. Yeah, There's yeah, no doubt about yeah. it. You want to prevent falling down. You want to prevent breaking your hip. You want to prevent all of the things that uh, can uh, cause a lot of trouble in elderly people. Yeah, wow. 522-8255 is the phone number. Dr. Gary Stoner, my guest. Gary, you may want to come a little close to the microphone. You have a yeah. tendency to crack to crack a little bit out Okay. Of Good morning, caller. Thanks for joining the program today. What is your name? How can we help you, please? Oh, this is just the innocent contemporary. Uh, I can keep on uh, topic here. Now, it, it sounds what, what like... What do you mean you, you can keep on topic? But I won't. Oh, no, I, oh. oh, you cannot keep on topic. No, no, I, I can. Uh, okay. So believe me, uh, this will be on topic. Uh, now, uh, it, uh, I, I, I must have graduated from high school about the same time as Stoner, but uh, I was so much of a slacker, I didn't uh, take the advice of my father when he said, son, never, never, yes, son, never, never, uh, eat at the same store that your car eats at. So uh, I, uh, it, I found that uh, at a gas station, uh, only maybe 5% of the food is really edible. Uh, maybe 
uh, uh, dried nuts and raisins and bananas, apples. Uh, now, do you think the uh, junk food you get at uh, a uh, gas station is worthless or is it downright toxic to the defenses against uh, catching uh, cancers? Now, there's a subhead here. Uh, I, I did buy some sunflower seeds, and I, I said, these don't taste like sunflower seeds, so I read the label and had sugar added. Uh, uh, do you have anything against uh, refined sugar? Do you, do you think it's so naturally inflammatory that it even is a cancer-causing uh, substance? Uh, do you want to handle that, Jacobus? No, you, we asked you. want you. me to handle it? Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, right, well, you, don't, you don't have to answer about the gas station food. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we do know that uh, foods that are very rich in in the sugar and fats and so forth, they're not not particularly good for you. In part because uh, the fat, for example, is changed to a uh, a, a fatty acid that is converted by some enzymes called cyclooxygenases in your tissue into a series of prostaglandins. Prostaglandins are produced at too high levels, actually cause the tissue damage. They stimulate the growth of pre-malignant cells. They certainly they're pro-inflammatory. And so uh, uh, foods that are uh, high in, in, uh, in fats and so forth are problem. Sugar, well, sugar, of course, is a good substrate for cancer cells because uh, cancer cells, unlike normal cells, can grow under conditions where there's very, very little oxygen or, or no oxygen, whereas normal cells have to have uh, have to have higher levels of oxygen in order to get enough energy from what they uh, metabolize uh, to survive. So uh, sugar is a good, uh, cancer cells are incredibly good at using sugar to produce the energy necessary for them to, uh, to live. And so uh, sugar can be a problem in that sense, no doubt about it. I yes, Daniel? Um, okay, except for the uh, tap, 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 tap in the background. I know, there's uh, a t there's a clicking going on that I do not know. Somebody just texted me and said there's a clicking going on. I cannot, I cannot figure out what that is, so I'm really uh, sorry. Let me see if I yeah. turn these well, off. Uh, well, that's, that's still there. Well, uh, I don't know what that is, but otherwise, you know, we try to run the show as good as we can. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah, it's it's gone, and I'm gone too. So. Uh, All right. Yeah. Well, I think you got your answer. Uh, you got your answers. Uh, both both you already knew. I don't think that yeah, Dr. Yeah. Stoner added anything. I don't think it's going to change the way you look at life. You're not going to eat more sugar or less sugar. You already <laughs> don't eat much sugar. So yeah, it's yeah. Um, right. you know. Didn't so. I Next time, next time when you call, ask a specific question about the topic. Oh, well, all right. I'll all do right. my best. Okay, good. Thanks. Bye. 522-8255. So it's, you know, I, I just appreciate you're here on the show, and I, I hope that when people call in, they just ask a question that really has to do with the research that you're doing. So it's... Uh, well, it, that's it, more interesting. And, I, you know, listen, sugar, sugar, there are people who just will not get cancer in this life. So there, are we going to talk now about, uh, we're going to talk about uh, cancer and people say, well, I won't get cancer, so I'm not going to listen today. 
No, we, we're talking about inflammation. And I think that your answer about what refined sugars can do, it's not about eating sugars. It is what sugars do in the body. There are yeah. people who can handle sugar fine. They have no problem. They don't, you know, I don't think it is good. Obviously, a lot of diseases today that we know have been uh, accelerated because of the tremendous introduction everywhere of sugar mm -hmm. and the adding of sugar, refined sugar specifically, in all in in so many of the foods just as a preservative on the shelves yeah. so yes is there a problem sure there is a problem but we already knew that so in any case um uh, you're talking about the uh, the different you're talking about the cytokines and the chemokines that are contributors to the cells when i was looking at the computer this morning and at some websites and i look at shapes it, it is very interesting to see the researchers describe what a cancer cell looks like, what a cytokine looks like, what the monocytes look like. It is fascinating because we just think that these little round balls, but these are very complex little organisms, I could say, that have hooks and pointers and, and, and stuff that, that they're not smooth. They're not not many of them have a smooth surface. So it is one more thing where they can literally grab onto stuff and therefore uh, affect the way, uh, you know, it's very hard to fight that because they're so unpredictable, so to say. Yeah. Well, of course, the, uh, <clears throat> the uh, inflammatory cells, white cells, have a tremendous phagocytic ability, ability to grab onto a bacterium, for example, and yeah. internalize it and kill it with the internal enzymes. So let's let's, let's so highlight some of that very, when we come it's back. It's a very flexible membrane yes. that, these, that these cells have to grab onto things. I want to hear yeah. more about it when we come back. We have a short yeah. break. Folks, please stay tuned, uh, and we'll be right back. We talked a little about inflammation, acute yes. and chronic inflammation, uh -huh. and, and how that affects the body. And then that inflammation is a direct source of, uh, can be a direct source or, uh, to feed cancer cells. Yes. And so we thought we had a caller, but caller hung up. Uh, give us a call back if you like to talk to Dr. Stoner. It's 406-522-TALK, 522-8255, or text me at 266-7617. Um, one person is texting me a lot, and I cannot do everything. I cannot <laughs> I cannot talk about everything on the show, so I am kind of have to uh, figure out how exactly I'm going to do, get this all uh, worked out. I, I have to find a moment where I literally sit down and see what, what your question is. But any case, 522-8255, or the text 266-7617, area code 406. One thing you just said to me, you would like to really jump onto this immunotherapy. That has been, that is the main topic, but we need to understand why we get there. So uh, immune therapy is, everything in science has a history. Maybe you can share a little bit of history with us. Well, the whole concept of immunotherapy has a, as we learn about inflammation, we learned about inflammatory cells and so on, uh, it's become, it became more obvious. But back in the 1800s, uh, before they knew much about uh, white blood cells, not Burkow hadn't, hadn't, hadn't described all of them at some point. Yeah. Uh, 
there was a physician in uh, uh, New York uh, Hospital. His name was Cooley, Dr. Cooley. He was a surgeon, uh, and he did some very interesting experiments. He had uh, he typically uh, did a lot of head and neck surgery, and he'd find that he'd remove a tumor, and it would come back, and he'd remove it again, and it would come back, and ultimately most of those patients, of course, died. And But he found that if he took uh, a very virulent strain of streptococcus, and injected it directly into the tumor, uh, that frequently the tumor would liquefy and kind of go away. Not frequently. Really? It, it wouldn't happen uh, immediately, but it happened. Okay. In some of his patients, and some of them were actually cured. And so uh, nobody at the time really believed him uh, because he didn't, frankly, do a very good job of documenting his work at least it was thought he didn't and when he presented things uh uh, the percentage of his patients that were actually quote cured from this treatment uh was quite low Uh, but nevertheless they if he hadn't given them the treatment they probably wouldn't survived at all everyone would have died so he he would he would go to the the bacteriological laboratories at the time and ask him for the most virulent strain of of this bug that he could get and inject that in. As I say, occasionally he had, he had cures. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, he took a lot of heat, uh, during his, uh, during his tenure. And when he passed, uh, it was thought that he, uh, nobody wanted to really believe any of it because he hadn't really documented. Yes. Well, it turned out he did document it, but he never put it, he never assembled his data into a form that he could make a presentation with it. I see. And his daughter, uh, actually, as she was cleaning out his house, after he put, so she found these reams, of these boxes full of data with, uh, with historical perspective. Wow. On each, all the patients he treated. So. And she was then able to quantify the number of patients treated, the number of patients that were cured, and so on, those that weren't. She wrote that document then. Uh, wrote a paper uh, presenting uh, the, his information, and his supposition at that time was that the bacterium was producing something that was killing the tumor cells, the Correct. cancer cells. He didn't know anything about the fact that there's bacteria was probably stimulating immune response. I see by, by white blood cells, which in which were really responsible for the killing of the tumor cells. Right. And of course, uh, we we use some of that information today in in certain cancer treatments. For example, in bladder cancer, uh, we use an attenuated form of the bacterium that causes tuberculosis. Huh. And uh, when that is injected into patients who have bladder cancer, or or sometimes after treatment, I think it's usually when they have active disease. What, what happens is that stimulates the immune response, white blood cells and so forth, to come in then and kill the bladder cancer cells. And so that's an example where, where that whole sort of treatment is going on. But it's not the, the bacterium that's killing the cancer cells. It's the bacterium causing a 
immune response against it that yeah. also affects the tumor cells and and kills them as well. So, so what uh, I what 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 I'm thinking about then uh, tell me if I'm wrong Dr. Stoner is there is the cancer cell that often the tumor that grows slowly it's almost fooling the body it's like slowly sneaking around your house right we don't see it we see some movement but we don't really pay attention that it is actually growing and then all of a sudden by injecting this let's call it a toxin this disease this bacteria the virus whatever that comes on so quickly the immune system jumps on so whoa we got to deal with this and while it is fighting this injection it sees the tumors and and goes after the tumors as well. That's is, is that kind of a visualization that, that, that I have? That's exactly what happens. Yeah. So the body is getting lazy because it is uh, it's blindsided by something that is growing very slowly, until it is too big and then you can't stop it anymore. Or even or even if it is growing rapidly, okay, you still get an effect. Of course, from from treating with immune by by immune cells can come in and still kill those yeah. cancer cells. Yeah, yeah, and so. Uh, we're getting better at figuring out how that happens and better at designing approaches to kill those cells. And I'll talk about that in a minute. So when you talk but, about a tuberculosis is used for bladder cancer, tuberculosis uh, um, infection can be injected into bladder cancer and we start seeing some results. Yeah, this is really a killed bacterium. So it's the, it's the bacterium that can cause tuberculosis, but you kill it. You kill it. But you don't destroy its antigenic nature. So it's still capable of stimulating or uh, immune response. Oh wow! So okay. it's a dead bacteria. Aha! Uh-huh. 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 But but it is uh, uh, it is uh, still capable, as I say, of stimulating That's interesting. immune response. So yeah. a dead bacteria can still do have certain antigen yeah. effect. Yeah, it, it still has antigens from the bacterium that, that, that the immune system responds against. And so Dr. Cooley, Dr. Cooley was the one who kind of experimented with that and started with that. Yeah, he he, he and documented it, even though his colleagues didn't think he did. Well, he documented. It. They they didn't think he did because he didn't do a very good job of data presentation. He yes. gave a lot of anecdotal information without actually showing his his slides of of actual data. I see. So he didn't compile it, huh. and and uh, that's why a lot of people didn't necessarily believe it. And it was only when his daughter compiled it and wrote a paper from it that they that they said, well, gee, he he had about twelve or fifteen percent of of his treated patients that yeah. survived. Oh, okay. But that's against mm-hmm. the background of almost no survival had they not been treated at all. So again, he thought that the bacterium was producing some some products, some enzymes or whatever that were killing the cancer cells. He didn't know. That what was the real, uh, what was really operative here was yeah. the stimulation of the immune response yeah, yeah, by yeah. those bacteria. I see that that then would kill the bacteria, but also would also be directed towards the tumor itself. Right? Huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting observations, and of course, people followed up with that, and and in the '60s, actually before the '60s, in the early part of of the 20th century, uh, people were using viruses to kill cancers and injecting uh, virus viruses into tumors. Huh. Uh, and uh, 
there are many different kinds of viruses that were tested, adenovirus, herpes virus, semi-porous-like virus. Really? And so forth, that had the ability to, uh, to kill cancer cells, but unfortunately, uh, they usually resulted in other kinds of, uh, either in incomplete cell killing, and so the tumor didn't completely go away. Okay. Or alternatively, uh, the virus itself uh, caused infections in the, in, in the treated patients. Oh, that is true, and, of course. And led, led to other problems that uh, uh, resulted ultimately in the uh, government saying that this is not a viable approach okay. to treat cancer. Was it uh, similar then with the bacteria that the virus was killed first? And no, then no, the virus was live. They were live. So the yes. bacteria were killed and the an, and, and the antigens caused yes. the effect. Yes. Oh, I see. But the viruses were still alive. Yes. Okay. They were live oh. viruses. Mm. We had this experience in in uh, uh, back in the early nineteen seventies when I was a postdoc at UC San Diego. Yes. I was working for a veterinarian uh, who was interested in uh, scours in calves diarrhea in calves. And so he uh, thought that we might be able to treat that disease with antibodies against the, uh, against the uh, viruses that would, would cause that. Yes. So uh, we isolated a, uh, we were trying to make antibodies uh, against different bovine viruses in uh, mice. And so you'd, you would inject the mice with ascites tumor cells, and you'd then inject the virus, and the ascites would be fluid that was in the, per, in the peritoneal cavity. You'd collect that, and you'd have rather purified antibody against the specific bovine viruses, and then you could test that to see if okay. it might be effective. Right. Turns out that we injected one bovine virus into these mice, and it wiped out. All of the ascites cells did not kill the animal okay, at all. Wow! And then we found that this virus would kill cancer, human cancer cells in vitro, in culture, in cell culture. Right. But it had very little effect on normal cells. In Interesting. Culture. Turns out that you the, mean normal? Okay, so healthy cells. Healthy cells. Yes. Uh, so the turns out that the cancer cells had more uh, sialic acid on their surface membrane, which was the receptor. With that virus, oh. and and uh, so we thought that this might be a viable way for treating cancer with this with this virus yes. because it would it it caused no little or no infection of normal human cells, but a, a number of different human cell cancer cell lines. It was uh, it would kill those cells. Yes, but uh, we tried to get some funding to do that, and the person at the NCI said, well, gee, you know, we've already gone through that process. We've made a decision against it. We wouldn't support it. And so... You mean they tried it already and they said it didn't work? No, no they didn't try it. They, they, they What did, do you mean we've gone through the process? We, we've already tested a number of viruses for their ability to kill human cancers. It, the results have been negative, and so we don't want to pursue that any further. Yeah. I like this virus because... In, in animals, for example, it didn't, didn't in normal animals, we injected it and it didn't do anything. Yeah. It was innocuous, but it was quite effective against tumors. And, and uh, there was another 
type of ovine virus that someone in Illinois was working at the same time that was also quite effective against tumors, but n- neither of those viruses ever went into the human trials. How interesting. So I that think, is a shame. It well, really is I've a al- shame. I've often thought about that, and, and I had a friend who had cancer, and he wanted me to try this virus on him. And I said, well, you know, this is not approved by the FDA. Yeah, not legit. And so it's not legitimate. Yeah. Uh, But he said, I don't care if it is. I want you to try it. Wow. I went back to uh, my laboratory. I left the the University of California, and, and the virus had been frozen back. I went back to try to retrieve some of it, and it was all... Destroyed. Destroyed. So oh, boy. Nothing happened. <laughs> and and when that happens, is there no way to recreate something? Oh, I to suppose, recreate a virus? I suppose you could, you could go through the process of taking a number of different... This was bovine intervirus 261. So it's a, it's a 261st isolate of a bovine virus that had this effect. It may, you may never find it again. It yeah. It take a long time. So yeah. uh, I don't... We, we didn't try that. No. Hmm. That's too bad. But it shows that there is such a desire to, to, uh, to find something that can, at some point, help the body fight these types of cells. Yeah. Yeah. And the virus, of course, was direct cell killing. But, but yes, these, the early experiments were with these bacteria that truly did. And, and uh, so this led to the concept of, of uh, uh, as immune cells were identified, as white blood cells were identified, and they were found to have an effect on tumor cells, and culture, and so forth, uh, that that started the whole area of, of uh, immunotherapy. So, immunotherapy is really a kind of a two-pronged approach, if you will. It's it's the use of either antibodies to kill tumor cells. Or the use of uh, uh, white blood cells that are engineered, so to speak, to go in and bind to tumor cells and kill them. Okay. So the major ones, of course, being the lymphocytes. Okay. And among there's really two classes of lymphocytes that are most effective. The so-called T cells, T lymphocytes, and the natural killer cells, the NK cells. Right, okay. These... these, uh, these cell types are ones that go in and and bind to t- uh, cancer cells and and kill them. So <clears throat> the whole basis of immunotherapy is that uh, cancer cells have on their surface some type of protein or an- what we right. call an antigen. Yes, yes, yes. That uh, the immune response is developed against. Yes. So in in we take advantage of that in uh, immunotherapy by making antibodies, for example, against that specific molecule on the surface of cancer cells. Right. So we're trying to be very specific on what we see. Yes. But we realize now that there is much larger variety that we were not addressing. That's right. Right. So we can make antibodies that can either bind to uh, the uh, uh, antigen on the surface of the cancer cells, or that uh, uh, actually turn on uh, white blood cells, uh, activate them, if you will, to 
to go against the uh, against the tumor cell. Wow. Yeah. And so the the antibody, uh, what happens is when antibodies are directed against a specific site, if you will, on tumor cells or cancer cells, they bind to that site through what's called the FAB fragment of an antibody. So an antibody is Y-shaped, okay. like a Y. Yes. One, one piece of it, called the FAC fragment, actually binds to the site on the tumor cell. The other, the FC fragment, binds to white blood cell, lymphocytes. And so it brings the lymphocytes in into physical location near the tumor cell. And then the lymphocytes go in and bind to the tumor cell and kill it. So it's antibody-mediated cell killing. Okay. And so uh, uh, that's, that's one, one mechanism by which antibodies can kill tumor cells. Is that where we're going to talk about the dendritic cells? Uh, dendritic cells, a, different. Okay, let's, dendritic let's cells are uh, a little different. Okay, I'll, good, because I'll, I'm thinking about the, the messenger, yeah. what they do. Yes. Yes, but okay. no, no, dendritic cells can present antigen yeah. that can result in uh, white blood cells or lymphocytes coming and killing tumor cells. Yes, okay. they have that capability. Yeah. But uh, this is, this is uh, with just antibody itself and uh, binding then to uh, lymphocytes, and then the lymphocytes go ahead and kill the tumor cell. Right. So uh, there's another mechanism by which antibodies can, can do this, and they, uh, they do this by binding to proteins in the blood that are called complements. There are a number of different complement proteins. And complement proteins have the ability to, I guess, easiest way to drill holes, if you will, in cell membranes. So they can they can drill holes in bacterial cell membranes, really drill holes into cancer cell membranes, and kill the cell. Yeah. So these are circulating proteins. Uh, I don't. I I have a friend that actually identified two of them. I don't know how many different complement proteins there are now. Huh. But uh, they can be bound up by antibody. Bring the an- bring uh, bring the antibody brings the complement. It's bound to a tumor cell. It brings the complement in close association with the tumor cell. Yeah. And then the complement actually bores holes in that tumor cell and explodes it or something. And and it, and it dies from uh, uh, apoptosis or really? cell death. Yes. Yeah. Wow. So antibodies can bring tumor can bring white cells lymphocytes in close contact with tumor cells, and then they kill, or it can bring complement, and then the complement can kill the tumor cell. So this is something that has been discovered as actually happening all the time. It is just now that we see that it is happening. Well, so it, th- it, it, if we have cancer, yeah, it's, right. it's happening. It is happening. The yeah. body's immune system itself yeah. is trying to do that. So with immune therapy, we're trying to enhance that That's right. by giving the body some assistance. That's right. All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to continue with that because this is absolutely fascinating. And Dr. Stoner will also talk about how this can be used indeed for cancer. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. On his LinkedIn site says that he is retired. Um I don't know what that means in your case because you never retire. You just <laughs> well, love what I'm, you do. Pretty much, but I'm not fully retired. Yeah, yeah but you, a, you pick and choose. Montana State University. You do some MSU? I do some work at MSU, yes. And but, uh, you, but you don't travel that much anymore. Uh, not as much, no. Yeah. Not nearly as much. You enjoy it? 
the traveling? Uh, I I enjoyed I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah. Early on, and then after a while, it got sort of old. Yes, I take one, that. One hotel after another. And yeah. And yeah, and time typically, changes. Typically, and stuff. we didn't have a lot of time. Uh, if, if you went to a meeting that was a two-day affair, and you go in the night before, have a nice dinner, and have two days of meeting, then fly out the next day. Sometimes you would have a day or so to see the more of the country that you were visiting. Or sure, sure, sure. It was, yeah. Or the city. Yeah. Here in the U.S. Uh, but uh, oftentimes it was just uh, pretty much uh, in and out kind of thing. Yeah. Hmm. I would actually like to go back and see some of those places and spend more time. Yeah. And see what I what I missed. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, was, it was enjoyable at the time. Yeah. Mostly. Now, for those of you who want to get in touch with Dr. Stone or have a specific question, by all means, call us, 522-8255. Or if you would like to text us, you can do so as well at 266-7617, 266-7617. Gesundheit with Jacobus is broadcasted live every Saturday morning from 8 to 11 on this radio station, AM 1450 KMMS. In the Gallatin Valley, AM 1340, KPRK in Park County, and live over the web at kmmsam.com, as well as your mobile app that you can download if you haven't done it yet, AM 1450, KMMS. I got a couple questions for you on text, Dr. Stoner. Uh, This is the first one. This is probably a first-hour question, but how dangerous are repetitive dental x-rays in causing cancer? Uh, I don't know the actual data on that, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, I've heard that, uh, I mean, x-rays, as you know, cause uh, damage to production of oxidative radicals that I talked about earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And whether it's uh, uh, UV light uh, induced damage in skin or whether it's x-rays in, in tissue, and they also can cause some formation of certain DNA adducts okay. uh, in, in tissues that you can measure. Uh, how uh, much you would have to have in terms of dental x-rays to cause cancer, I suspect would be quite a significant dose over time. Uh, you'd have to obviously change the oral epithelium cells uh in the, in the right genes in order to lead to cancer development. So okay. I suspect it's very rare, but I, I could see where it certainly might occur. Yes. To, I don't, to some people, I, yes. Yeah, but I don't know the data. I don't okay. know the, what, uh, what's been compiled. There in that All right. Then we have another one. Uh, I read somewhere that a 72-hour fast, a three-day fast, resets the immune system and enhances immune response. What is the doctor's opinion? Well, I don't know how that would be the case, uh, but I would suspect that if you uh, had certain injurious uh, food habits that would would cause uh, would diminish the immune response that by by uh, stopping the use of, of of eating for a period of time, yeah, and then restarting it, it might be. Might be healthy, but I honestly don't know. Well, one thing that I that I can think about. Maybe you, you would know that well, better than me. I think that if you do a fast, you have to do more than just not eating. Yeah. So if you drink, 
what do you drink? Do you just drink water? Do you drink water with lemon? Sure. Do you put oxygen in the water? Yeah. Uh, I also suggest that when people fast, that they help the body eliminate toxins by doing colonics or enemas yeah. so that you eliminate because the pressure from above is gone. You're not eating anymore. So what is in there stays in there in at 98.6 degrees in a moist, dark environment, all kinds of things can start to grow. Yeah. So it could actually have an adverse reaction to the body. So I would recommend that people really help the body eliminate. Either, I, I personally would not propose laxatives, but if you want to use a laxative for a day to just eliminate the small intestine as quickly as you possibly can and then work with colonics or enemas to empty the colon, I think then you give the body a clean a clean pipe, so to say, so that when you are fasting, you are literally giving the body a chance to focus on healing yeah. instead of fighting new toxins that are entering the bloodstream. Well, thinking about that, that question a little bit more, what's, what's emerging, of course, is the importance of the bacteria in the bowel. Yes. And uh, the ratio of anti to pro-inflammatory bacteria in the bowel and the effect that that has on your immune system. So if you fasted for a few days and uh, cleared everything out, so to speak, you could say, theoretically, if you had an emergence of more anti-inflammatory bacteria back into your system, uh, that this would be uh, maybe protective against uh, on the immune response because the, the, the gut is really uh, where a lot of your immunity comes from extremely important. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what's important in that is the relative ratio, in fact, of anti to pro-inflammatory bacteria. And so uh, uh, some of the probiotics, of course, that, that uh, have uh, lactobacillus in them, which is a anti-inflammatory bacteria, that's one of the reasons that they're given is to change that ratio and reduce the amount of, of inflammation. Yeah. And then that, in turn, probably would enhance the immune response. Yes. So I suspect if, it, if, if this works, that that's the mechanism. Huh. So the lactobacillus bacteria have more of an anti-inflammatory response than the bifidobacteria? Uh, I don't... Or does, I, or that not, doesn't matter. You just mentioned lactobacillus. Yeah, I think both of them yeah. are, are, are anti-inflammatory bacteria, as far as I know. Yeah. But there are a, a number of bacteria in the bowel that are known to be pro-inflammatory. Oh, is that right? Yes. Uh-huh. And so uh, uh, they probably are responsible for a lot of the diarrhea that you have, uh, the pain that you have in the bowel, uh, because they uh, develop localized inflammation within the bowel itself. Plus, they also, uh, I suspect, influence the uh maybe the lymphoid cells within the bowel uh, yes. that, to uh, uh, either enhance them or de- diminish their ant- their anti-inflammatory effects. Okay, good, good, good. So um, that's, a, that's a good question for Seth Walk at Montana State University who does a lot of work with... Oh, uh, is that right? Yeah, does a lot of work with uh, looking at the <clears throat> my- microbes in the bowel. It's a fascinating new area, relatively new area hmm. of uh, cancer research. The um, 
I, I need to double check here what I'm all going to ask you. Are, are you able to stay a little bit longer? You said you were going to leave at 10 o'clock. Uh, I can stay longer, sure. Okay, good. Because I'm, I'm not uh, through my... No, I was going to say you're not uh, by far through all the things that you wanted to talk about. <laughs> and uh, um, Probably talking too much. <laughs> well, no, it's all it's no. all really good. It's very interesting. And I know there's going to be some very interesting things coming up, folks, uh, as we talk, talk, talk about uh, CAR T-cells, uh, C-A-R uh, T-cells is, is a new uh, new development in the well. It's called chimeric antigen receptor cells, T-cells. And uh, we're going to talk about dendritic cells as well in the research to help fight cancer. And But the immune health in general, there's a lot going on. Now, why is it often that when people are diagnosed with cancer that was so worried about the lymphatic system because it's all over the place and it will carry stuff very quickly to anywhere well, in the body? Well, when, when tumor cells get uh, uh, metastasized, in other words, they get away from the primary site of the tumor and go to other sites in the body, one, one uh, mechanism by which they metastasize is going to, into the lymph. And so frequently... Uh, You'll find that that uh, that's uh, that the lymph nodes are examined nearby a developing tumor. Yeah. And if 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 it if the lymph nodes have tumor cells in them, yes. then you know that the tumor has metastasized beyond the primary site, and it's gone into the lymphoid system. Okay. And that's always not. Not good. But how do you know how far that is? Often women with breast cancer, that's where it has started the most. And when women have been diagnosed with breast cancer and they have a lumpectomy or mastectomy, specifically mastectomy, yeah. they also often remove lymph nodes out of the arm, right? And yes. uh, Or out of the, yeah, out of the arm. But if you take that out with the lymph lymph tissue doesn't that spread a lot faster than what the doctor these doctors can take out it may already been spreading all over the place or it may have but it's important to see whether indeed that's the case so you need to you need to harvest the lymph nodes and examine them to see how far has this spread is it just the first node is it a whole series of nodes that are positive that that has uh, implications for the prognosis disease but how so, fast how fast does a cancer move through a lymph node? Now, a lymph node is always moving stuff around. Yeah, uh, the can- the cancer cells get into the lymph nodes and grow there. Yes, and and I suspect in most cases that process takes quite a bit of time. It does. Yeah, you know, yes. I mean, oh. cancer cancers depends on the type of cancer. Uh, many of them are years in development. They don't they don't occur just like this. You bet. Some are some are more aggressive than others. Yeah. Uh, and usually those that are more aggressive are those that have more mutational events in the cells that uh, make them more aberrant in terms of normalcy, and they proliferate more rapidly, Yes. and therefore they have a greater propensity to metastasize. Okay. And, and in some cases, that's very rapid. There's, there's a tumor, for example, called undifferentiated polymorphic uh, uh, sarcoma, okay, that can occur in, in in the in the body, and that particular tumor metastasized frequently in the lung. That can occur very quickly. That can re- okay, yeah, good. You, uh, melanomas are frequently, rapidly metastasized. Okay, there are others that are, are, are slower, and 
And I don't know that in a, within a given tumor type, uh, different tumors will have a, a greater propensity or a lesser propensity to metastasize mm. and with different frequency. Mm. Yeah. When you, uh, folks, 522-8255, don't want to take away your opportunity to talk to Dr. Gary Stoner, who is my guest today, as we talk about immunotherapy. If you have any questions, please call the studio or text us at 266-7617. We'd be very happy to answer your comment or question. If there is something that uh, that really has been on your mind, please, by all means, um, it, it this will be a good show to bring it up. Um, Dr. Stoner, when you look at the different cancers, there are cancers, you can have all kinds of cancers. What are the top three cancers that actually exist? Not the ones that get most fame, you know, that are most popular to talk about, but what are the three leading forms of cancer? Uh, The major cancer killer in both men and women worldwide, lung. Lung is number one. Yeah, that's number one. Okay. Number two, uh, the in terms of prevalence, is stomach. So the, mo- the, the, the most devastating is lung. That's what you say? Most devastating most is lung. Most devastating, okay. Yeah. Well, it's the one that kills more people than any other type of cancer. Okay. And the, actually, the, most the most prevalent? The most prevalent, of course, is skin. Really? But we don't worry, yeah, by far of any other kinds of cancers, but we don't worry as much about skin because it's more treatable. Okay. So you frequently, when people talk about nasty cancers, uh, they don't talk about skin, but of course melanoma is a a real bad actor. You bet. Most of the rest of the the basal and squamous cell carcinomas can be quite treatable. Sure, okay. Uh, But, uh, so the most prevalent is skin, certainly. Uh Uh-huh. But in terms of... of, uh, Killing, the I think the certainly lung is number one. Yeah, worldwide. Uh, in in women, number two is breast. Yeah, and then in this country, not not throughout the world, but in this country, it's breast cancer, lung, breast, and then uh, uh, I think I'm not really sure. Prostate. Exactly what in men? How how devastating? Men men uh, devastating. Prostate's quite devastating in men, yeah. Now, so then num- I want to ask you, is it prostate cancer, or do men primarily die once it's spread to the bones and it becomes bone cancer? Yeah, that, that's uh, it's not really bone cancer. It's still prostate cancer yeah. in bone. Right, but if it would just be isolated to the prostate, I yeah. think the prognosis for healing are a lot better oh, yes. than when it metastasizes. Oh, no, no question about that. So if it's localized, it's much more treatable if you remove the prostate, yeah. or if you treat it by radiation, uh, uh, frequently it can be cured if it's localized. When it metastasizes, it's a little more difficult to treat. Certainly. Right. So, and 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 the third, the third major, third one, yep. third one in women is colon. Okay. Yeah, and in men, it's uh, I believe it's lung, prostate, and colon. In terms of so the major for women, cancer So for killer. women, it's breast and colon? Yeah, it's women, it's lung, lung breast, and then colon. Lung, breast, colon? Okay. That's correct. And, and then in it, men, and then? it's lung, prostate, and colon. Okay. 
Well, I'm not surprised, uh, Colin, but that is one that doesn't get a lot of attention. People uh, in our store, uh, digestive issues are probably the most addressed issues when people come in. Digestive problems. Yes. And I, I, I am not surprised. Uh, we have an abundant food industry yes. that has really exploded. I mean, I remember from when I was young, and I'm younger, a lot younger than you are, but my, I remember the little mom and pop stores and the, in, in the Netherlands, and the grocery stores were very, they were very infrequent. Yes. Now you have in a town like this five, six, seven grocery stores. Yes. They're open almost 24-7. People can get food whenever and whatever they want. That's correct. Doesn't matter where it has grown on the planet. To me, that has been such a drastic change as far as what we eat, how much we eat, how often we eat, what type of food we eat in such a short time, let's say 50 years, that I don't think our body has been able to adjust to it quickly enough. And because of that, the body is, re, is, is screaming out, how, am I, how, how do you want me to do this? Yeah. And therefore, the, I feel that cancers have become more prevalent because the, we put stuff in our body that have so many, uh, when you look at the food label, what's in it, there are so many preservatives, artificial colors and, and, and flavors um, artificial, um, um, certain synthetics almost that you put in there. You go like, why is this in here? All because it has to get certain shelf stability. And yeah. we open the package and we think it's fresh and we just eat it and it isn't. And our body has to deal with whatever we're trying to put in the mouth. So colon cancer, stomach cancer, these are all, to me, understandable because that's your... I always say the first line of defense is what do you put in your mouth, right? The second line of defense is your whole digestive tract. Yeah. So the digestive tract will let you know what is good or not good by yeah. either you throw it up or you have heartburn or indigestion or you have diarrhea, constipation, gas, bloating. You have issues where the body says, this doesn't sit well with me. We're gonna have to, you're going to have to throw that out. I don't think that a hundred years ago, people didn't have these kind of problems that we're dealing with today. No. Well, with, with stomach cancer, uh, it, the major factor that causes that disease is a bacterium called Helicobacter pylorus. Okay. Helicobacter pylorus colonizes the epithelial lining of the stomach, leading to significant inflammation within the stomach. And this inflammation can lead to the formation of ulcers. And this was brought to our attention by some Australian physicians years ago. Nobody believed them. About eight years ago, they got the Nobel Prize for this observation because okay. it's true. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and within the ulcers and around the ulcers, you can have, with this per- continuing inflammation and infection with the organism, you can actually develop stomach cancer. Yes. Now, worldwide... Uh, uh, there's a very high percentage of people who are infected, uh, more than 50% worldwide. In this country, it's probably somewhere between 30 and 40%. People we, who are affected with the helicobacteria 
pylorus. Helicobacter pylorus, that's right. And so it may not have turned into a cancer, but it is existing, and it, it may... It may turn into something bad. It, it may cause the changes in the stomach lining I that see. ultimately lead to cancer. That's, wow. that's correct. Okay. And so, and much of it's due to the fact that it's uh, strongly pro-inflammatory. So there's a significant inflammatory response developed against this bug, and it's chronically there, and that ultimately can lead to the formation of stomach cancer. And of course, so stomach cancer worldwide is the uh, third most prevalent cancer and the second cause of cancer death worldwide. Wow. It's not very, not very prevalent cause of cancer death in this country in part because the fact that we have a prolific use of antibiotics that will kill out that organism. And also there are certain foods that can, kill the, can help kill the bug. Okay. So uh, uh, it's not it, it's not just always the bug itself. It's the bug in conjunction with high salt in the diet, for example. Yeah, which make which is a significant factor in countries like Japan. China. Really? Yeah. So those uh, and and certain smoked meats, smoked fish, so forth can contribute. So there's a series of carcinogens in smoked fish. We call them polycyclic hydrocarbons. That uh, actually also contribute to the disease. Huh. We're going to take a short break. Um, I see, I keep saying short break. There's only two breaks in an hour, so this is the news break. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take care of that. This is uh, very, uh, very good information. I very much appreciate him being here. Stay tuned. We'll be back for hour number three. Uh, I'm, I'm really chomping at the bit to keep going uh, we have talked about inflammation and how much inflammation what is inflammation you have said it how can we fight inflammation but also that inflammation is often the root cause of cancers and so how what can we do to reduce the inflammatory response in our body that is obviously first it starts with diet and lifestyle but on the other hand for some people, that is really difficult because they have all these dreams they want to fulfill. They have all this work they need to do. They have all these responsibilities every day they have to take care of. And when the mind directs the body where it needs to go, there are times when the mind doesn't want to deal with anything negative or holding it back. So we plow through the day, day in, day out, year in, year out, and we expect that the body simply will respond in a positive way, just as happy as the mind is, right? And then we find out that the body says, uh-uh, you got to feed me better, you got to treat me better, and otherwise I will start to slow you down. And I often see that a disease, an illness, is simply a response from the physical body to slow down the whole system. Mm -hmm. And if we don't pay attention to those moments eventually that can turn into something that is either a stroke or a heart attack or Alzheimer's or an autoimmune disorder, or in this case, what we're talking about, cancer. And your research on cancer is trying to understand what are these cancer cells, what do they look like, what are the different components of a cancer cell, what is on the outside of the cancer cell, what is on the outside of the membrane that is sending signal, signals to healthy cells, that is sending signals throughout the body, and what can I do, what, what is available 
where we can neutralize the cell or where we explode the cell, where we literally just kill it. Um, and to me, your research is absolutely fascinating. So uh, this hour, we want to talk about immune therapy. That's the second hour we talked about, immune therapy. And first hour, inflammation, second hour, immune therapy. Now we really want to dig deeper into what are some of the research done on cancer cells. And the immune therapy is is really growing. And, and, and you mentioned earlier what immune therapy is. Let's talk about what is the latest of research to help the body overcome cancer or fight cancer. Yeah, I, I think it's very interesting. I'm not an immunologist and I'm not an immunotherapist, but I think this is such an interesting, important area that I wanted to uh, wanted to talk about a little bit here with, with you. Jacobus. Yeah. Uh, I, already, I already mentioned that uh, immunotherapy comes really two components. One, the use of antibodies to direct uh, uh, white blood cells, lymphocytes, to kill tumor cells, or complement to kill tumor cells. And there uh, are a number of, of uh, so the antibodies are, are directed against specific sites on the tumor cells that they bind to. Yeah. Uh, called ligands that they bind to. And there are a number of these different targets on the, on tumor cells for antibodies, so they're they're called CD fifty two, for example. CD CD CDs. They CDs. call them CDs okay. or PD one, PDL one. These are sites on the tumor cells that the antibodies are directed to, and uh, <clears throat> they uh, so far uh, there are a number of antibodies that have been approved by the FDA for treating cancer. Okay. Uh, they always end in the in, as in, in the three letters M A B. So they could be rituximab or nolivimab and so forth. You see them you see them on TV occasionally being advertised. But so far, they work primarily. They they're effective primarily against leukemias and uh, lymphomas. Okay. But now they're beginning to have uh, antibodies against malignant melanomas that okay. are working better than uh, even metastatic melanomas. Uh, and also bladder cancers, non-small cell lung cancer. Uh, there's a huge uh, effort right now in developing more of these antibodies against specific epitopes, we call them, on the surface of cancer cells that they can bind to and then direct uh, T lymphocytes to come in and kill those cells. Yes, yes. And uh, uh, now there are a number of clinical trials going on with antibodies like this in conjunction with chemotherapy, usually, or with radiotherapy. So uh, chemo and radiotherapy typically doesn't get the whole job done. Correct. So hopefully the... Uh, of these antibodies that are directed against the tumor will do a better job, and and uh, in some cases that seems to be the case. It has improved improving survival. Uh, the antibodies themselves alone are probably not going to be enough, uh, but in conjunction with other standard methods of therapy, they might might do the job. Yeah. So those are those are the That's the story with the antibodies, and then of course there's uh, there's uh, the cell-mediated uh, 
The cell so, cell mediated cell mediated killing. So cell these are, mediated these killing. Are, these are these are either dendritic cells. Yes. Or they are T cells, so called CAR T cells, that that can be uh, directed against uh, tumors. Uh, dendritic cell therapy really is. Uh, it provokes uh, anti-tumor, anti-cancer responses by causing these dendritic cells to present the tumor antigens to the lymphocytes. So the dendritic cells present the antigen to the lymphocytes, and then the lymphocytes are activated, and they're then primed to go ahead and kill the cancer cell. That's really what dendritic cell therapy is, is all about. It's It's very much more involved than that, but in, in a general sense. That's, I, I looked it up. a type of white cell that, that have that capability. I looked it up uh, because I needed to understand this, and it is still a somewhat complex issue yeah. to read, actually understand what, what are dendritic cells. Yeah. Do you mind if I just read what I found? So you, go, you, go right you sent me, you said dendritic cells, so that is spelled D E N. D again, D, D, R, I, T, I, C. So D, E, N, D, R, I, T, I, C. Dendritic cells present antigens to blood lymphocytes, causing them to attach cancer cells or attack cancer cells, probably what you try to say. And and um, now I found a few other ones that I thought give me a little bit more insight. Uh, it says dendritic cells are the pacemakers of the immune system crucial for the recognition of cancer cells and induction of anti-cancer immune responses resulting in destruction and killing of the cancer cells. Another one says dendritic cells are antigen-presenting cells, APCs, uh, also known as accessory cells of the mammalian immune system. So they're antigen Presenting cells, so they that means antigen is a disease, right? Disease presenting antigen is the protein. Yes, is the protein that 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 triggers the disease or that is the disease that it, it, it is it is the uh, on the tumor cell. It, it is it is on the tumor cell. Yeah. Okay, and interesting. That's, that's what that's what you want to bind the lymphocytes against to uh, to go ahead and kill the tumor cell. Right, and it says so, their main function is to process antigen material and present it on the cell surface to the T-cells of the immune system. Yes. They act as messengers between the innate and the adaptive immune systems. And the last one I had was dendritic cells are present in those tissues that are in contact with the external environment, such as the skin, where there is a specialized dendritic cell type called the Langerhans yes. cell that is Langerhans. Dr. Langerhans yeah. who invented it, right? right? And the inner lining of the nose, lungs, stomach, and intestines. They can also be found in an immature state in the blood. Yeah. So they, are, they, they, are, they, they see what's happening on the surface of the cancer cells, and then they react. One way that you can activate dendritic cells yeah. to then go ahead and present tumor antigens to the lymphocyte is by by vaccinating individuals with killed tumor. Interesting. So you can take the either either individual proteins from from a tumor or you can take uh, 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 what are called autologous tumor lysates. These are just simply ground up tumor cells. Yeah. And inject them in. 
Yes. That, act, that can activate the dendritic cells. Okay. And so this, this is one method by which uh, you can activate those cells and then result ultimately in the killing of the tumor. Yeah. Uh, by the lymphocyte. Yeah. The other is to is what we call CAR-T therapy, which you mentioned earlier. Yes. That, I think, is fascinating. And, and uh, I think, ultimately, it's going to be very useful. Uh, what that involves is the actual isolation of T lymphocytes from the cancer patient. And uh, to, to get a purified population of T lymphocytes that will react specifically against the tumor. Okay. And, and, and there are those circulating T lymphocytes in your in cancer patients okay. that, have, that have been challenged uh, by the by the tumor that that will contain uh, antigens against the tumor, or you can isolate lymphocytes from the patient T lymphocytes. You have to make sure that they that isolate has no red cells in it, has no monocytes, no other contaminating factors. Correct, uh, and and then you grow those cells in culture. Oh, right, in, so you multiply them. Yeah, you, you multiply them. We we have we have growth factors now that will stimulate T cells to proliferate. And, okay, and those were identified mainly through the research that was done on on HIV. That's so, right. I was reading about the HIV. You yes. had to grow the lymphocytes there in order to isolate the virus. Okay, identify. But in any event, the uh, so these isolated. Uh, T lymphocytes then are, you introduce a gene into them, which uh, either by using a virus as a vector, introduce a gene, or you by a process we call electroporation. It actually uh, gets a gene within the T lymphocytes, and, and that gene then gets bound up within the DNA of the lymphocyte, Okay. And then the gene produces a antigen, a, a protein that is that is on the surface of that lymphocyte that recognizes a similar protein on the tumor on cell. On the tumor cell. Okay. And then so, they, the, I, I saw in a video, then they, it's almost like antennas. Yeah. And they connect. Yes. And then there is something about the T lymphocytes that literally sense through those antennas, let's call yeah. it antennas, yeah. it's, it, they're, they're empowered. Yeah. And then they sent this signal through the antenna into the tumor cell to explode it. Yeah, that's that's correct. They they usually release what are called granulozymes, and then there's another sort of enzyme that they that they release that actually kills the tumor cell. Yeah. So uh, uh, the thing I like about this is that you uh, once you get the the gene yeah in the T lymphocytes from a given patient. Yes. And you can grow those cells up there, those yes. T lymphocytes, into huge numbers and inject them back into the patient. Uh, and uh, uh, then uh, they will hone in specifically on the tumor. If you activate T cells without having any honing mechanism, correct? Uh, just general activation of T cells. You, you could get, have too many T cells. You get people very sick. Because they because the, you, you get a hyperactive immune attack, system, they'll attack a lot of things. That's I right. see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can even get an autoimmune disease. Correct. So uh, that's 
that's not something you, you, you like. And this is what Cooley actually got back with his patients, a number of them. With the, zecro, with the uh, put, streptococcus. That's right. He, he put the strep in, and it was such a nonspecific effect on activating T lymphocytes, presumably, that uh, they had a lot of, of uh, uh, side effects yes. from this treatment. Yes, yes. But the thing I like about CAR-T therapy is that uh, it can still listen. What you call it, CAR-T? CAR-T, yeah. What is that? Who is that? Is that a doctor? No. Oh. No, it's CAR-T is, is chimeric. Oh, the, the CAR-T, yes, I'm sorry. Chimeric antigen yeah, receptor therapy. Sorry. Yeah, I was reading sorry. It's C-A-R, the capital, C-A-R space capital T dash cell, CAR yes. space T cell immunotherapy. Yes. And and, and the cancel.net website, cancel.net website calls it the 2008 advance of the year uh, uh, research and uh, discovery. Yeah, it is. Uh, there, there aren't. Uh, there's only one or two of them, uh, CAR Ts that I think are now approved by the FDA. The first one is in 2017, but you can imagine there are a number of different uh, pharmaceutical firms that are are uh, developing uh, different different CAR T therapies, uh, and it's a it's a rapidly growing area of cancer research, and uh, they're now, uh, again, those are probably working best against leukemia lymphomas at this point. Why is that the cancer uh, that is, uh, that is of, so popular? I mean, I would think that is awesome. Uh, because probably leuke- because of proximity of, the, of the, uh, the lymphocytes to the tumor cells themselves. Uh, yeah, but how do you inject it into the bloodstream? That seems simple. Yeah. But wouldn't it be easier to inject something like this into a tumor that is isolated? Well, uh, that that'll be done with time. And okay. That, that's going to be. There, there are some studies. Because direct, why is it not done on breast cancer? Uh, well, if we're talking about gene yeah. therapy, uh, HER two, then you would think we already know what is one of the main reasons for uh, breast cancer. Why don't we? I mean, why, because I, they're afraid can, they're going to cure breast cancer? I, I, no, I'm, <laughs> I, I can assure you there are many studies that try to do that. Okay. But what you have to have on the tumor cell itself is an epitope that can be targeted. That's, okay. That's a key The thing. antenna, is that yeah, what you're talking the about? antenna. You okay. need to have something you can target. Okay. And, uh, and we haven't identified targetable sites in many tumors as yet. For yeah. example, we haven't done that in colon. Uh, hasn't been done in pancreas, as far as I know. Yeah, uh, they're up for small cell lung cancer. Okay. Uh, there's a uh, there's a lot of what is called epidermal growth factor receptor on the surface of small cell lung cancer cells. Okay. And this particular uh, receptor turns out to be uh, a decent site for CAR T therapy, and some. I've heard that they're getting some almost cures of this disease wow with with uh, car t therapy i mean i mean i i remember years ago nobody survived from small cell lung cancer yeah very rapidly growing lesion wow 25 percent of the cells dividing any given point of time yeah. uh, had a very poor prognosis uh, i think uh, so if this turns out to be a, a viable approach that'd be quite significant Wow, I I don't know. I think about fifteen percent of lung cancers are small cell. 
So uh, they produce all these bizarre hormones. And so w- when you talk about small cell, what do you mean by that? Little uh, they are, that? They small are, cell? They are small cells. So they're very hard it, to detect? If, if, no, uh, you, but if you look at, the, uh, look at the tumor under the microscope, yeah. the cells within the tumor are very small. In fact, at one time they thought they were lymphocytes, which are quite small. Yes. But they're not lymphocytes. They're actually uh, epithelial cells. That are just they're epithelial just to be, cells. Yeah, they're epithelial cells. Inside the tumor. Yeah, they're derived from uh, what we call neural crest, from Kulchitsky cells, Okay. neural crest, and uh, they are very small uh, compared to the, the larger cells that you see in non-small cell lung cancers like adenocarcinomas or squamous cell okay. carcinomas. Wow, yeah. okay. So, uh, but they... Their distinguishing features are rapid growth and the fact that they produce a whole series of bizarre hormones, like insulin, for example. Yeah. Growth hormone. Yeah. And so forth. Some sometimes the side effects of those hormones in patients with small cell carcinomas can be pretty significant. Yeah. Which you might expect. Wow. So, uh, but they were very difficult to treat. They were more responsive to chemo because of rapid growth. But it was uh, it didn't take long for them to develop resistance yeah. to the chemotherapy. Wow. So okay. um, huh. they were very tough to treat. But this CAR T, if 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 uh, I guess in in uh, small cells that have overexpression of EGF receptor, I guess that might be a, a viable target. The CAR T therapy. Let's. Uh... Let's go to the uh, to the commercial break, and then when we come back, we'll continue with this. Very, very fascinating. Folks, please stay tuned. We'll be right back. What a great explanation. Talk about dendritic cells and CAR T cells. C-A-R space T cell immunotherapy. So fascinating, fascinating stuff. And... and um, the dendritic cells are almost, they, they, they tell our immune system, they're able to tell our immune system where the problem is and then take the immune cells there. They just latch on. So the immune cells have been strengthened somehow, yeah. injected with yeah. something, with a genetic material. That's right. And then they go there and these antennas, so the, the, on the surface of tumor cells, we have kind of antennas, pointy stuff, yep. and somehow they grab this, onto them. They grab onto them, yep. and they use that as sure, a so. conductor to send the the poison yep. into the tumor cell to kill no, the tumor that's, cell. That's correct. Yes. Wow. And that's the car good. and the car T cell is a little bit different in that, right? It's not well, exactly the same. Or is the, that the car T is interesting because it it. It uh, permits the honing of the lymphocytes to uh, to a specific site on cancer cells instead of non-specifically binding to uh, other normal cells in the body and causing a lot of damage. Correct. So it's very important to be able to do targeted immunotherapy to reduce side effects uh, from, from that. and it it has its own side effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're usually not as severe as you get if you just randomly turn on the, the lymphocytes in the body, the T lymphocytes, yeah. and 
natural killer cells, and then you can get a lot of toxicity. And mm-hmm. the one one way, you know, there are, there are certain checkpoint inhibitors on T cells that uh, that stop them from growing. Or, or, and and these, uh, you can make antibodies against these inhibitors. Okay. Uh, the inhibitors are things like PD one and uh, CTLA four. These are molecules on the surface of the lymphocyte that keep them in check, their growth in check. Okay. So when you isolate lymphocytes from someone, a cancer patient, and you treat with these antibodies against these inhibitors, you turn, you activate those cells, stimulate them to grow, and so forth. You inject them into the patient. But when you isolate them, people uh, where you've introduced an antigen on the, on in the uh, lymphocytes, it can bind to specifically that to sites on the tumor cell. So it's directed. You have a lot less toxicity than if you have just generalized increase in T lymphocytes, which can go in and cause a lot of damage to many tissues. So using checkpoint inhibitors by themselves can cause a lot of side effects. Wow. Uh, just so, just non-specific stimulation. So when you talk about checkpoint inhibitors, yeah. these are this these is the therapy anim- that we're walk, talking about right now. There's the CAR T cell immunotherapy and the dendritic cell immunotherapy. Those are these checkpoint. No, uh, the checkpoint inhibitors are molecules and on T lymphocytes that oh. actually control their growth. Okay. So if if you make antibodies okay. against them, I get it. You release the those those checkpoints yes and then the, the lymphocytes start rapidly growing and then we have a hyperstimulation li- of yeah, the immune system hyperstimulation immune system and if it's not directed towards a specific antigen on the on the tumor cell yes yeah. more uh, then you have a lot of normal uh, cell killing and you can get uh, a, a number of dangerous side effects yes that uh, like uh, inflammation of the lung pneumonitis you can get uh, Chest pain, inflammation of the liver, inflammation of the colon, uh, hormone and gland problems, uh, inflammation in the brain. Yes. These are all side effects you can get if by just turning on T lymphocytes without having them directed against specific uh, site and tumor cell. I see. Yes. The, so that, the, yeah. the, the thing I like about it is, say, CAR T therapy is that you've introduced genetically a receptor on those cells that can bind specifically to a receptor on tumor cells yes. and kill them. Yes. And so it's directed. It's not a generalized uh, uh, type of uh, cell killing. Okay. There is, a, there is a person I know, and she had um, she has been suffering from... Uh, I want to understand if there's maybe a, a, a similarity here. Uh, she's had MS, decided to go out of the country, have a therapy done whereby they first, when she got there, they extract her natural healthy stem cells. Mm-hmm. They spin them and multiply them and clean them up and then multiply them. Mm-hmm. Then they have that. Then they put her, uh, uh, um, do chemotherapy on her, completely mm-hmm. killing her whole immune system. So there's mm. nothing left to bring it back to zero. Mm. Then, you know, that is, you're pretty sick there for a few days. This is with MS. With MS, yeah, yes. it was with MS. And then 
reintroduce the stem cells. So they have this whole space to grow, multiply, not have to deal with anything else. They just multiply, 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 rebuild the immune system with healthy cells. And the, the prognosis is that you may see reversal, but definitely you should be able not to see advancing of the disease. Then I'm thinking, as you're talking, and I'm thinking about that story, when you look at the current cancer therapies, it is primarily chemo and radiation, whereby they say, we do the chemo radiation, but they're not doing anything to re-stimulate the immune system by saying, you know what, don't eat this food, don't do that food, stay away from sugar, uh, food coloring. They pretty much say, we'll do, the, we'll do the battling for you and you can go home and eat whatever you want to eat. Mm-hmm. Now, many people feel sick anyway, they can't eat much, but you know what I'm saying. Once they start getting better or once they say, we got the cancer under control, there is nothing done to stimulate the body to start re-entering something that is healthy. Now, in the lady's case, it was stem cells reintroduction to rebuild the immune system. But if you don't do that therapy, then you should at least tell people, listen, focus your diet on high antioxidants, uh, the, the raspberry, black raspberry extract, for example, reintroduce high antioxidant food, stay away from processed foods, uh, don't do the alcohol, don't do the sugar, don't do anything that could actually take you back to where you started, why you came to see us in the first place. Yes. And that is why I feel we're missing something in cancer therapy in this country because we are inundated with uh, commercials about eating and drinking and smoking or do whatever you want to do, expecting that there will be a different outcome. Yeah. And it isn't. We keep, this, we keep society sick by not making drastic changes in the way people live. There is no coaching, no guidance from the medical profession about what people can do to actually overcome it and make sure it never happens again. Yeah, I think that, that uh, scenario is improving. It is? Uh, I think it is. I think uh, more... Physicians nowadays uh, in medical schools, for example, have courses in nutrition, uh, are trying to improve the knowledge of, of their uh, students about uh, foods that are potentially harmful and foods that are likely to be very helpful. Okay. Uh, including comp- uh, foods that are immunostimulatory. Yeah. Uh, things like mushroom extract, for example, the mushroom compounds are quite immunostimulatory. There are certain selenium uh, is somewhat stimulatory. Uh, uh, we found that black raspberries are actually immunostimulatory. Uh, by the way, we, we found that black raspberry extract in rodents actually enhanced the uptake of uh, T lymphocytes and natural killer cells into the tumor. Wow. Uh, and huh. We had a reduction in the uptake of neutrophils in certain types of macrophages, which are known to be uh, known to produce cytokines and chemokines that actually stimulate tumor development. Okay, those were those were impeded. Uh, 
we had never thought that neutrophils would be would be uh, pro tumorigenic, but in rodents, uh, the, where you uh, give high doses of neutrophils, you can show increased occurrence of lung cancer, for example, and other types. In part because of the production of these these uh, cytokines and chemokines that, that stimulate growth, there are cytokines and chemokines that are tumor inhibitory. Oh, really? Uh, one is interferon, for example. Yeah. Interferon. There are many there are types of different types of interferon. Typically, it, it is is useful for for uh, treating or killing viruses. Quite toxic. Can be quite toxic. But uh, uh, but now we know that there are different types of interferon that that uh, kill different kinds of cancer cells. Huh. Uh, another one are interleukins. Yes, like IL six and, and others. These are proteins that also uh, chemokines and cytokines that actually uh, inhibit the growth of cancer cells. And, and you can show in vitro that these uh, really are effective uh, in killing cancer cells. Wow! So uh, there are those that are growth promoting, and those are those that have the ability to stimulate cells to die, usually through an wow. mechanism. Boy, it is an ongoing research, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's very complex. All of it, it is really complex. Yeah. And that is why we can't find an answer yet. Um, well, there won't be a singular answer. I think, I think what's going to be the case with most cancers is that the treatment is going to be multiple. Yeah. But now, I think, with additional uh, studies in immunotherapy, immunotherapy for a long time, involves simply taking T lymphocytes from cancer patients, growing them in vitro, and injecting them back into patients. Okay. Uh, that all, because they weren't targeted, that led to a fair amount of toxicity. Plus, it was not very effective. And, and I think now that you can target, it's going to get better. It, it may not give you a lot of cures by itself. I see. It's hard, too hard to say at this point. My guess is it won't be sufficient by itself. But I think along with, uh, with standard chemotherapy against, the, against these cancers, it's going to give a, 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 an increased survival rate, an increased uh, treatment uh, efficacy than we, than we have right now. So do you say that when the therapy, the immunotherapy is going to work, in reality we don't have to worry about changing anything else in our life. We don't have to change our lifestyle. No, we don't I, have to change our diet. So what? No, I, I'm not. I'm I mean, not, I, know, I know you're a proponent yeah. of antioxidants and healthy food. I, and, I'm certainly a proponent of diet in preventing. Cancer, correct. Reducing uh, genetic damage by chemicals we're exposed to. Yeah. Uh, re- reducing the growth rate of pre-malignant cells, stimulating them to die. Stimulating to, to redifferentiate, reducing new blood vessel formation, reducing inflammation—all of those things are protective. And but I think it's also that uh, the use of uh, certain nutrients in the diet, in conjunction with chemoradiotherapy plus immunotherapy, yeah, uh, I think uh, uh, is a is a good thing. And, and uh, they're beginning to do that now. But if you don't. Yeah, 
I, adding I, nutritional agents to enhance immune response coupled with these other modalities of treatment. But That's I think we to need to. Yes, we need I to. I mean, if you, you talk about uh, nutrients as prevention, yeah. then I say we should have uh, improved nutrients uh, during therapy. You, yeah. you want to make sure that the therapy is not the only thing that can solve the problem. I'm talking to you about chemoradiation therapy. Yeah. Yeah. You, I think you need to find something in yourself that says, you know what, I'm going to have to change the way I live my life because whatever I've done got me to this point. Now, again, there will be people listening and say, I went to Vietnam. I was exposed to Agent Orange. That's why I have the cancer. Or what do you tell a two-year-old who has a brain tumor or who has a, a, a cancer, liver cancer, or kidney cancer, bladder cancer at that young an age? I understand all that. But don't compare yourself with everyone else. You need to look at your own life and say, what can I do today, starting today, to make sure I will not get such a devastating disorder like cancer? And I feel that too many people say, I don't want to give up my habits. I really like my life the way it's going. I just will take some kind of a therapy. Um, one of the, uh, there is, a, there is a, a question that is being asked, is there anyone in our area that can perform the procedures that you have described today? Honestly, I don't know. I assume so. Here so there are people who use the dentritic cells here in Bozeman. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if they're doing CAR T therapy or not. I suspect that that's being done uh, in buildings if it's not being done here, but I don't know. So pretty much make a make a telephone call and find out. Find out. Sure. Okay. There's another question from a listener. Mo- uh, most most of that is still being done, uh, probably through uh, uh, studies that are supported by the National Cancer Institute because this is still a under you know under on the development case, there's only one i think there's only one car t therapy that's currently approved for routine cancer treatment by the end by the fda so this is a really there there i think there are over a thousand different studies ongoing involving the use of antibodies plus uh, alone or antibodies plus chemotherapeutic drugs for cancer treatment and the CAR T therapy is is uh, not quite as advanced as that by any means, but there are no, a number of CAR studies all being all ongoing. Most of these are still in the experimental stage; they're not approved yet by the FDA because they haven't been proven to have efficacy yeah. yet. But, but it's I, so interesting. I think it's, I think it's going to be that's going to happen certainly with time. Yeah, but when the AIDS epidemic happened, yes. Within three weeks, we had some kind of a v- injection that people with AIDS could take, and it was rushed through the FDA. I forgot what the name was. Maybe you remember what it was, yeah. what that therapy was called for HIV or for, for AIDS. Yeah, therapy, yeah. What was it called? It's, it's, uh, these are compounds that inhibit the, the growth of uh, the virus itself. Right, but you remember when that happened, all of a sudden yeah. within a month or so, we had some kind of an injection and everybody became subject and was injected with this with the hope that something would stick. Yes. And obviously we still lost a lot of people. And why why does the FDA not say, you know what, we got something very valid over here. Let's, uh, let's give more people a chance 
to start implementing it. Because how many times do we talk to cancer about cancer and we're being told, well, there is an experimental research going on in Houston. Well, what are you going to do? You're going to fly to Houston and do that? And is that a legit therapy or are you literally, are you the guinea pig who is trying it out? Well, you know, you have to be careful because if you do the wrong thing, you could cause a lot of damaging effects. Yeah, but chemo and radiation, Gary, have been approved for 50 years and they still kill people. So it is not that it's 100% waterproof. It is just a therapy that has been accepted. But CAR-T therapy is still in its infancy. And so it'll it'll be a while before there will be a lot of CAR-T cells uh, therapy that you have to prove that it actually works. Uh, I'm, I'm saying that with leukemias and lymphomas at this point, probably looks pretty good. Uh, antibodies against leukemias and lymphomas look good. Yeah. Uh, but uh, probably not going to be enough by itself. So that's why so many of these studies are ongoing using CAR T cells in conjunction with chemotherapy or radiotherapy or usually chemo. Uh, and so until we get the results from those uh, and the FDA approves it, we won't be able to do this routinely. I mean, we can't. You have to have FDA approval. Yeah. I know. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, it is a fact. It is a fact. It's how, to, how, how it works over here. Yeah. You know, even though, like I said, there are therapies that have been approved yeah. that have not shown to really work. Or have not, you know, we have prescription drugs in the market that have a list as long as your arm in side effects, yeah. but somehow they've been approved by the FDA and sometimes you want to come on, you know, this looks very hopeful. Can we get more people involved in this and start using, you know, uh, it doesn't, you don't want this to stay that long in, in vitro study. You really want to get this in vivo, right? There's, there's no question about that. I mean, uh, uh, there were a few as I, as you read back on on the genesis of immunotherapy, there were some patients that were treated with checkpoint inhibitors, had significant side effects, or this or that, or patients that were uh, uh, treated even as long ago as with with, with, with cooling, mm-hmm. you know, that were thinking that, gee, if we knew more, if we just knew more, if if I can hang on a little bit longer, yeah. I'd be able to survive. Yes, and we. And that's that's obviously what we'd like to have. We'd like to have very rapid development of efficacious agents, but it just takes time. It does take time, and, and I and, you, and I realize that. And you have to be sure that they're reasonably tolerable and safe. Right, and and as you mentioned, these cancer cells they can sometimes be so small. And some of them have antennas on the outside that are you you recognize them. I saw in one of the little videos that 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 demonstrated how this works. Some of these cancer cells know they're being searched by the lymphocytes, and so they start growing a ton of antennas. Yes. So it is hard to pick one antenna and to uh, to really latch on. Yeah. And then some of them all of a sudden morph into a healthy looking cell, so they're not being recognized by the uh, the immune system and then they change again yeah. so this research you wonder what are these cancer cells what what well, these these are buggers they're they're very adaptable they're very you know, adaptable they, become, they have all kinds of mechanisms which they become resistant to chemotherapy yeah or even radiotherapy so uh, no they're and of course uh, they uh, 
one one big advantage they have is their ability to get all of their necessary energy uh, and grow under conditions where there's very little oxygen. I see. Uh, essentially anaerobic conditions, and and uh, get get their the necessary energy from just burning up sugar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a huge difference. Right, and that is why I think some people are getting more and more involved in changing their diet. They go more to a ketogenic diet, whereby they eliminate the amount of sugars that they take in in the body, thereby starving the uh, the cancer cells that way. It would be great to see more research on something like a ketogenic diet, and if people are willing to say, you know what, I'm going to switch what I do and try to do it from the inside out or the outside in, whatever you want to call it. Um, I suspect there have been studies on ketogenic diet and cancer patients, but I don't know. Yeah, very fascinating. I can't believe we've come to the end of the hour. Yeah, it's amazing. It is amazing. Three hours so fast. Wow. I I highly recommend, (laughs) folks, that you look up cancer uh, immunotherapy and then specifically for something called CAR T-cell immunotherapy that is spelled C-A-R, capital C-A-R, then space T dash cell therapy and also something called dendritic cell therapy. Both of them very, very interesting, cutting edge right now. That is um, that's in the works right now. Dr. Stoner, thank you so much for being here. Thank today. you so much for inviting me, Jacobus. I You're always welcome. enjoy it. Thank you. Thank you very, you much. very much. Okay. Folks, a lot, we, of, lot, of, all right. lot of fun. You we'll be back next week, Saturday from 8 to 11. See you then.